You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. The series we're on, The Calling, it's all tied into Madagascar, Dominican Republic. We've responded to God's call to go to these places, but we're looking at the call that God has on our lives, on our church. And so that's why we're looking at these various guys who received the call from God. Today, it's Saul, who later became Paul. And so if you have your Bibles there, it's uh, The Calling is our series. And the reading today is from uh, Acts chapter 9. And this is the writings of, of Luke, Dr. Luke. He wrote the book of Acts as well as the gospel. And here's his account of the conversion of Saul, who later became known as the Apostle Paul. It's a dramatic account of his meeting with Jesus Christ. And here's, here's verse 1. In the meantime, Saul kept up his violent threats of murder, get that, against the followers of the Lord. He went to the high priest. And he asked for letters of introduction to the synagogues in Damascus. Interesting that Damascus is back in the news, always a trouble spot. So that if he should find there any followers of the way of the Lord, he'd be able to arrest them, both men and women, and bring them back to Jerusalem. And Saul was, as Saul was approaching the city of Damascus, suddenly a light from the sky flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He asked, I am Jesus. Whom you persecute, the voice said. But get up, go to the city where you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with Saul had stopped, not saying a word. They heard the voice but could not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground and opened his eyes but could not see a thing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. For three days he was not able to see. And during that time he did not eat or drink anything. A familiar reading to many of us. But I want to put the focus on the verses that actually follow. It's necessary to get us into, into sync with the, with the actual conversion of Saul. But the guy I'm going to focus on is Ananias. And he's the guy who was asked to minister to Saul and to bring him right through into the body of Christ. An amazing, an amazing expression of service and ministry. He's the guy we're going to focus on. And I'll take us through verse by verse into his little story. Meanwhile, a word of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we've sensed your presence in so many aspects of this service. Uh, we have uh, we've loved singing the beautiful words of these praise songs. It's been great to feel the touch of your presence through a handshake or a hug. We're soon going to be sharing in communion and ministry time. And now we're going to hear your word. We pray, Lord, that you'll remove any distracting thoughts from our hearts and minds and help us to focus on what it is you want to say to us through the story of this man, Ananias. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Guys, the closest I can get is, think of this. Here's an army chaplain, right? An Australian army chaplain serving in Afghanistan on the front line. He gets a call from his superior who says, you'll never believe it, but a leading Taliban commander has miraculously been converted by a mission group somewhere out in the desert. Been dramatically converted. We're going to bring him into base. We're going to give him shelter. He's basically come over to our side. He's got a notorious reputation. He's actually been involved in the killing of Australian troops. But we want you as the chaplain to bring him into the, into the compound, welcome him, introduce him to the, to the worshipping group here on base and just take it from there. Now, it's an unlikely scenario, 
But you put yourself into the, into the shoes of that chaplain. That's what it would have been like for Ananias. That's how it was when God's call came to him. You see, Saul had a notorious reputation. What, what does verse 1 say? In the meantime, Saul kept up his violent threats of murder against the followers of the Lord. Now, friends, this wasn't Saul, this Pharisee saying, now, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be in trouble. We're going to impose heavy fines on you. We'll put your name up on the city hall and you'll be shamed. No, no, this guy, he's got murder on. I mean, it was at the feet of Saul that they laid their garments after they had stoned Stephen to death. And so there's evidence to suggest that Paul had actually been involved in the killing of Christians. And here he was, coming into Damascus to be welcomed by Ananias, a member of that church. Saul, in a sense, was maintaining the rage, the rage that had been stirred up among the Pharisees during the ministry of Jesus that had caused his death on the cross. And now he's Saul maintaining the rage and going around doing everything he could to quash this new fledgling Christian movement. So the conversion of Saul is a miracle of huge proportions. It's the biggest in the New Testament, the most dramatic in the New Testament. But look, guys, to me, the hero, the real hero of the story is Ananias. He's the guy who makes a brief cameo appearance on the stage of biblical history. He's a guy who simply does what we're all asked to do. Nothing more, nothing less. He's asked to get involved in mission. He's asked to respond to the call of Jesus. He's asked to be available to become part of the establishment of the kingdom of God and to do so through some form of ministry. That's all he's being asked to do. And we're all being asked to do that. And a careful look at Ananias and the way he responds to the call of God tells us a number of things about the call of God on my life, the call of God on your life, the call of God on this church. You see... God's call to mission. Well, not wanting to to state the obvious, but we need to state the obvious. The call of God to mission, it begins with discipleship. Does that sound very obvious? Well, it is, but it's something we can't overlook. Verse 10, verse 10, it leapt off the page to me when I was preparing the message. Verse 10 starts, there was a believer. The New International Version says there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Friends, it is impossible to overstate the importance of that description. You see, you and I are at our most effective in mission. Our most effective in mission when people know who we are, who we really are. When they know that we're people of faith. When they know that we are people who are following Jesus Christ. When they know that that affects how we think, how we act, how we respond to need, how we handle life. When they know where we're coming from, we're at our most effective in ministry. Because they're likely, under certain circumstances, to ask questions. They're likely to want to know more. Knowing who we are is the prerequisite to effectiveness in mission. It's much more effective than coming on with telling people straight off. I remember my youth being involved in, in door-to-door evangelism. Whoa, that was tough. That was really tough. With the Lay Institute for Evangelism, we'd have to knock on a door. And your opening line was, did you know that God has a plan for your life? And you wondered why we were getting so many knockbacks. You know, like, I mean, evangelism is... It, I mean, there were some people brought to Christ that way, for sure. But not many. Because evangelism is a relationship. 
It's people getting to know us, getting to know who we are, why we act as we do, the difference that Jesus Christ makes. There was a disciple in Damascus. He was ready to go. He was the one to be used by God in this transition of, of Saul into Paul, into the, Christian, into the Christian church. Well, when God calls us into mission, it generally also involves a vision. Now, I'll grant you, very few people will have the sheer joy and exhilaration and clarity of the kind of vision that was given to Ananias. Did you recall in the reading? Look at verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and he had a vision in which the Lord said to him, Ananias. Wow, a vision. His name mentioned in person. How many people have had that? The answer, not many. Is it possible? Of course. In my experience, it doesn't happen too often. But God does give people visions. He does give visions of what's possible, visions of what he wants us to do. Friends, visions arise as we look at situations with spiritual perception. That's where a vision starts. When we look at a situation with spiritual perception, if you like, through the eyes of Jesus, as we assess needs, as we, as we seek to respond with Christ-like love and compassion, it was vision that got us into the heart of Glebe. It was vision that got us into Hope Street. It's vision that will take us into the, the indigenous church in Bathurst. It's vision that took that team to Madagascar. In my own way, and I'll share the story one day, it was vision that took me to, to the Dominican Republic in the belief that I could make some sort of a, a small difference. It was vision that led to this project. It's vision that motivates us in everything we do here at Northside. Visions aren't always Damascus Road experiences. And it's interesting, by the way, Paul only had one of those that we know of. You know, so often we sort of, oh, God, please make it clearer. Give me a strong sense of what you want me to do. Well, Damascus Road experiences don't happen too often. They only happen to Paul once. For the most part, it's us using our God-given minds and eyes to assess a situation. And to ask honestly, what is possible here? God, what could you do here through us, through me? What's possible here? Make that picture clearer and then give me the faith to follow through. Well, that's vision. And when that vision comes, almost certainly apprehension will be a factor. As it was for Ananias, verse 13, look at it. Ananias answered, oh, Lord, many people have told me about this man and about all the terrible things he's done. To your people in Jerusalem, understandably, he's, he's quite anxious, as would that chaplain be if that situation arose up in Afghanistan. Hey, look, we've all been there, haven't we? Anxiety, apprehension in the face of a call from God. Oh, Lord, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't serve in that way. I, 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 I'm not as good as the people who are doing it now. And, and I couldn't be considered for leadership. I'm, I might... Do the wrong thing. And as for going over to those inner city areas where they keep asking for volunteers, what, what if I said the wrong thing? What if I embarrassed myself or embarrassed the people I was talking to? How could I? I'm quite anxious. Me be involved in a group? What, what if I you know, don't know what the others know and I'm a bit in, feel inadequate? You've been there. I've been there. Me serve? What if I you know, go the wrong aisle or something? Yeah. Look, apprehension and fear are par for the course. It's part of the course when the call of God comes. But here's the thing. Nothing happens until we act. 
it requires a big leap of faith. There's two verses again that leapt off the page to me. I did some of the preparation for this on the long flight from, uh, from Dallas. <laughs> Maybe you feel closer to God up there in the air. I don't know. But some couple of things just really leapt off the page. Verse 15, the Lord said, go. Verse 17, so Ananias went. Whoa. You, you get the connection between those verses. The Lord said, go. Ananias went. He overcame his fear. Friends, time and time again within the Bible, God calls people into service. He calls them to make a difference, but nothing happens until by faith they act. It's the same with us. It's nearly always a leap of faith, of course, as it was for Abraham, Moses, Jonah last week, all the guys we looked at in this series. Always a big leap of faith, always overcoming apprehensions, anxieties, fears. I've just come from 10 days in this, this church where the only way to explain what's happened is vision, fear, and then action. You know, just like the, the, having the faith to act. We've achieved so much in 25 years. And it's been a series of, of actions. I met a lady, the lady who in 1948 had gone to this area with her husband from America. Her name is Doretta. They call her Sister Doretta. She's a beautiful lady from, I think it's Michigan. And uh, a gorgeous senior lady like we have so many in this church and uh, my biggest fear during the during the uh, five days that I was in is that I would inadvertently call her Sister Dorito uh, which I was really and the more I thought about it the greater my fears came I think I might have actually on one occasion I sort of rushed over to I think LEL translated it as Doretta I'd said Dorito um, I don't even like them I don't know why I said that <laughs> Sister Doretta came in 1948 with three kids to this area that I saw the pictures was just a wasteland. And they had a vision. They, they believed that God would do a work there. And at one point, her husband went back to America to raise funds for 15 months, leaving her with the three kids in this wasteland. And I said to her, Doretta, how did you feel about that? She said, well, he never did it again. Uh, he came back she said we have words he never did it again never went back for that length of time and uh, she's amazing she said I, I said oh, she said oh, did you take any pictures tonight I said yes I did I, take, I said how can I get them she said oh email them to me she said my email is down at the moment it's okay I'm still in touch with my family I'm texting them on my iPhone this lady is 90 90 years of age and she's texting and she's emailing and she is an amazing lady um so her whole story was one of just, you know, faith, action. And that's this church now after 25 years. They've got some amazing ministries into this impoverished area where they are located. Some incredible inroads into the community doing some inspiring stuff. So they, as I said earlier, they gave a lot more to me than I think I ever gave to them. So the people of the, the Quisgiana Baptist Church, they've found, as Ananias did, that eventually it comes down to acceptance and inclusion. These things are vital. They've got some very, very you know, needy people in their area. And it's a case of whosoever will may come. Look at the way Ananias greets Saul in verse 17. It's amazing. Look at this. He says, so Ananias went, entered the house where Saul was and placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to you. Brother Saul. It wasn't some sort of uh, pious, self-righteous, condescending, how can we help you? Uh, you know, I mean, you might take it gently with, with a guy like Saul. It's brother Saul. Let's get down to business. You're one of us now. The past is all forgotten. Jesus has touched your life. 
we're going to go and do business for him from now on. It's fantastic. You know, one of the saddest, to my mind, one of the saddest, most tragic of all the misinterpretations of Christianity is the one, and it's still around, sadly, the one where people believe that you still have to be a certain type of person to be a Christian. You know? You, you, you still have to have a certain background. You, you have to be someone with a certain level of moral integrity and social standing. Like, nothing could be further from the truth. Sadly, the church, over the years, has contributed to that misinterpretation with our emphasis on legalism and conformity and all the stuff we're trying to leave behind here at Northside. But that's, that's where it's come from. We've always tried to communicate the message here that this is a church anyone can come to. Anybody. No matter what your past. We're not so much interested in your past as to where God is taking you into your future. In fact, not content just to convey a message that whosoever will may come. Increasingly, without beyond Northside emphasis, of course, we're, we're seeking to take the message to people in their situation. And that's coming through with all of our mission initiatives. And it's exciting. Yes, Ananias, I believe, is the hero behind this story. It's an amazing conversion. But Ananias is there. He's the, he's the hero because he was available for mission. He was doing what we're all asked to do. He was a disciple. He was ready to go once the Lord called him. He got a vision of what was possible. Yes, there were moments of apprehension and doubt. But through faith and trust, he was prepared to act. And through acceptance and inclusion of people who he probably would have thought at the carnal level, gosh, what hope has this guy got a conversion? He was prepared to reach out and accept. Friends, I hope that through this whole series on the calling that you increasingly are getting a sense of the need to discover your calling. Many of you have, I know. What is your calling? Within this church, within your family, within your work environment, within your study environment, within your neighbourhood, what is the one thing you can do to make a difference? And there's something everybody can do to make a difference. And you know that there's, there's no real fulfillment and real joy in Christian life until we make that discovery. And so my prayer is that through this series, The Calling, we'll all get a greater understanding, inspired by Madagascar, inspired by, by Heart of Glebe and Hope Street and all the really frontline things we're doing. But if you're not up for that, just, just do what you can do where you are in your situation. Pray into it. Ask God, what is the one thing you can do to make a difference to people's lives in the sphere of influence in which you move? That's your calling. May you discover it in all its fullness very, very quickly. That's where the real joy is. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Well, Father God, we thank you for the story of Ananias. What a man. What a humble guy, ready to do business with you. And he steps onto the stage of biblical history, and there he is, ready to facilitate the greatest conversion of the New Testament. The man who went from being a terrorist to an evangelist. An amazing story of your love and grace. And Ananias was right there in the thick of it. Had his fears, had his anxieties, but was basically led to include and accept and open, up, open his arms to embrace this man. And that's mission. That's what we're called to do. Lord, help us to discover the Ananias in all of us. That simple readiness to be available to you to serve and to witness and to minister, knowing that's how your church is being built in 2013. It's through relationships. Thank you for the privilege. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, now we come to communion, of course, and this is a way to celebrate our faith. And if you are a guest, it's my great pleasure to say this is an open communion. You don't have to be a member of this church. You can just 
you, if you're walking the pathway of discipleship, we invite you to come. It also marks the beginning of our ministry time. Our prayer team is available. If you've got somebody in your life who needs prayer, if you yourself need prayer, if there's a point of thanksgiving in your life, we invite you to come and pray with our team. We'll be delighted to facilitate that and would see it as a privilege and a blessing for you.